Good morning, church family. How are you guys doing? Good. Isn't that great to worship together? That was so good. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here of Summit View Church. And I'm so excited to be with you, especially this morning. We've got a great morning in store, and excited to walk you through it. I'm um, going to give a heads up to those who are tuning in on the live stream. I want you to go get your supplies ready to um, take communion here. We're going to be doing that partway through the morning, so make sure you're ready. Well, if you haven't been with us, we are in the middle, we've been in the middle of a series on the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy, and most specifically, we've been talking about the law that God gave through Moses to the people of Israel, and um, today we will step aside from that slightly to uh, cover our vision and values as a church, but maybe uh, still following our cue from that series, uh, I want to look at a New Testament scripture that references the law as we move towards um, our sermon for this morning. So I want you to grab that Bible in front of you, and um, yep, go ahead and grab that Bible in the pew, and I want you to pay, turn to page 828, 828 in that Bible in front of you, and let's read about a time when some teachers... And during Jesus' day, asked him about something regarding the law. 8.28. And I'll also have it up here, but I still wanted you to get the Bible. Thanks for doing that. But when the Pharisees heard, this is during verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Kind of interesting exchange. These famous words we get are actually come in the context of someone grilling Jesus about his understanding of the Bible. Now, hypothetically speaking, let's say that Jesus were to show up here physically today like he did at the first coming. It's not the second coming, but as if he could, if he showed up here, I wonder what kind of questions people would ask Jesus today. Probably a lot of tough questions that people would have for Jesus, I'm sure. Suffering, all that. I'm, I'm not sure that the law would be the first question that people would ask today in our culture. But I could imagine questions from this culture, even the city of Fort Collins, along these lines. Jesus, how can I really thrive in this life? I want to live with meaningful purpose but sometimes I'm confused and it feels like I'm not making a difference. Or perhaps, Jesus, how can I really belong? I don't feel like anyone has my back. My family's not that close. My friends who say they're my friends don't have my back. Everything on Instagram tells me that everyone else has arrived and I haven't. Can I find real lasting relationship? How can I find purpose? How can I find belonging? 
in a parallel account to this passage here in Luke chapter 10, the teacher asked Jesus, or the, the, the lawyer, I guess I should say, asked Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This adds another layer on top. Yes, we want to thrive in our life now, but what about what happens after we die? What about eternity, if there is an eternity that follows this life? What does my experience look like? I was surprised in the past month I've had two different neighbors confide in me their concern about what life will look like after they die with fairly great concern. Now regarding eternity, I'm not fretful, I'm confident, I'm excited. But nonetheless, let me share with you a question I've been asking myself lately. How would I live today as if having the vantage point from heaven in eternity with Jesus looking back? How would I live today if I could see from there? It's a good question. Jesus' answer to the Pharisee, to the lawyer, to his answer to love God, to love neighbor, while given in a different context, it does provide us with a timeless answer, something that resonates in all cultures and all times. Now, during today's sermon, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take us on a journey through the vision of our church, the treasured values from Jesus on which we bank our lives. But the sermon won't merely cover church values and events, though I'm going to include some of that for sure. But let me show you my greater aim. Let's be reminded today of the treasured values of Jesus that shaped this church such that we're freshly inspired to live eternally purposeful lives together right now. Sounds like a big endeavor. I think we need God's help. So how about you join me in prayer, and then let's unpack the treasured values that we have. Jesus, it is so sweet to be with you. There is no one like you. So good just to sing together here and to see and to hear my brothers and sisters adoring you and loving you. Thank you for the way you stirred my heart through seeing that this morning. Today, Jesus, we want to hear from you. We want to have clarity about our lives. We don't want to waste our lives. We've only got one shot. Help us to make it count. Help us to live lives of meaningful purpose and belonging together that will impact eternity. That's miraculous. So we need your Holy Spirit to do that. Please do that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, slightly different than a normal sermon. We're not unpacking one passage. I'm going to be reviewing what we value as a church. So let me give you some key wording that we have as a church and then show some of the Bible that supports it. This is our mission statement. This would be our objective as a church. This is what we function to do, making disciples of Jesus by the grace of God. Around here, the greatness of Jesus amazes us. We haven't found anyone else like him. We love him. And it's our longing that everybody we meet would become passionate worshipers of Jesus 
and they would become followers of him that want to become more like him. But that last phrase is very important. By the grace of God. We notice a natural tendency for everything to be done in our own strength. Just to do what we can do in and of ourselves. For instance, naturally we are all prone to try to earn the love of God. Naturally, we're all prone to try to attempt things that only God can do, only with His strength. Let me tell you what God's MO is. God's MO is for us to stay dependent on Him and for Him to fill us with His power to do what only He can do. And so this phrase, by the grace of God, isn't just something we print on a paper. It's profoundly important and it keeps us from a number of dangerous pitfalls. How about this? You've seen the t-shirts today. This is our tagline. It's our memorable phrase that captures the essence of what we do in just three simple words. Love like Jesus. This is based upon the verses we just read when Jesus said what the great commandment is, first and second. And it's also based on another scripture that I'll read to you later. Let me show you our vision statement, which will provide the backbone for our sermon here today. We have five vision points, and our vision statement paints a picture of an ideal future healthy summit view in the future in which we're doing all of these things. This is a biblically robust, balanced framework that resonates with us here. And because the church is always a work in progress, we haven't ever arrived, you'll notice that each one of the phrases ends with ing. We're always growing in, delighting, loving, multiplying, blessing, and expanding. And so a brief definition, I'll go through these later, but very briefly, delighting in God, this is our value, that it's all about God. And He is so amazing. We're going to stick to His Word. We are going to worship Him. We're going to live lives of faith. That's delighting in God. Loving one another, this has to do with the community that Jesus makes, this counterculture community called the church in which we value the relationships he, he, he defines, in which we all contribute, we all give our part, in which we're united with a God-like oneness. Multiplying Christ followers, this is the Great Commission. It includes evangelism and discipleship, and we have a high value for reaching the next generation. Blessing Fort Collins, we've got a bike there because across the street, we share our parking lot with the city. We've got a bike hub that allows people to come and learn how to bike. And so this is our desire to bless, to do good, to freely seek the welfare of our city and in it to find our welfare. And lastly, expanding globally, this includes missions, church planning, resourcing, getting this good news that we're all treasuring and singing about this morning to places where people haven't even heard about Jesus yet. And so these are core values, or these are um, vision points that really guide us as a church. In fact, when we meet as pastors, we meet weekly, we structure our agendas based on these vision points so that we stay focused on where we're going and hopefully our conversations don't go too far away from what we're all about. And so it keeps us um, focused. The order is important but also it's, some, it's important to realize that all of these happen simultaneously. You could say this is a description of our church, but it's also a description of 
how you can apply it personally. So you can't say, hey, you know what, I'm kind of a blessing Fort Collins guy. I don't really do the other ones. I just want to serve a lot. Nope, Jesus has called us to do all five of these. Uh, but even though we do all of them, there is a priority, there is an importance, and a progression. It does all start with delighting in God. That's the central thing. And so that's why I made it bigger, and that's why I make, make a big deal about it here this morning. Here's what we discovered, and when we came up with this framework a number of years ago, we recognize that if anything other than delighting in God is the centerpiece of our life, things get really wonky. Even good things. If community is the center of everything we do, church starts to get really weird. If the mission of God, as important as it is, as urgent as it is, is the central thing, things start to get really wonky. Delighting in God is where it's all about. This is, why, um, this is why we say this. Let me tell you the story of an interaction that Jesus had from Luke chapter 10. I'll read all of it. I just have a few words on the screen. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Classic hospitality for the time. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my list sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is a rather shocking story. In this culture, hospitality was way up here. This was the measurement of how pious you were, how good of a citizen you were. Hospitality was key. So imagine, you have Jesus coming to your home. What would you do? Martha's going to serve him. She's going to get out the spread. She's going to make, I don't know what she did, but she is ready to show warm hospitality to Jesus. But Mary's doing something different. She's taking the posture of a learner and a worshiper, sitting at Jesus' feet, just listening to every word that he says, because it's life. She knows this is where it's at. Martha is frustrated. She's pulling out her hair. It's like, it's kind of embarrassing to get angry in front of Jesus, but she does, and she calls out her sister, and Jesus corrects her, and he corrects us from valuing serving Jesus over loving Jesus. Mary has chosen the good portion. It won't be taken away from her. If our hearts are a solar system then God is the blazing sun at the center of it all and everything else, service, mission, recreation, all finds its spot in orbit around that as the massive center of it all. And so Jesus teaches us that delighting in him is more important than anything that we do for Jesus. 
Let me give you a couple more examples besides Mary of delighting in God, just some personal favorites. A few psalms that capture this heart of being absolutely infatuated with God. Psalm 27, verse 4. It's not on the screen. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. All that to say, just capture the heart, the vibe of someone who is delighting in God. We see that in Mary, we see that in the psalmist. When we minimize this delighting in God here at the top, when we minimize that, we minimize our fuel to experience the rest of them. It's only when we have this in place that we are motivated to do the other things. Let me explain why. If you don't love and delight in God, you're not going to be able to love that person that's really hard to love. If you're not delighting in God, you're not going to have the courage to do crazy things for God, like share your faith or make a big decision. Only when we delight in God will we do the things that make for a really meaningful life. But what if we struggle to delight in God? What if we're not really amazed by Him? Is that okay to ask? How do we find motivation to delight in God? And for that, I want to share with you the good news. The good news of love for God. Not the good news of the love of God, that's good too, but this is the good news of love for God. Let me tell you this story that motivates us to delight in God. It all begins with the incomparably delightful God. He created the first humans, our ancestors, and they were made to love him and to be loved by him. But the serpent came. He came and deceived them into thinking that God wasn't so lovely. And they unfortunately chose the less lovely option. They forsook this God of satisfying love. And since then, mankind has been tricked again and again into choosing lesser loves, to drinking out of broken cisterns. And because of this forsaking, this betrayal, it's left us lonely, disappointed. Creation is unraveling. And also for ourselves, we have a death on our heads for betraying such a love, an eternal love, a divine love. And for all of history, generations have stacked upon each other, wanting to love God but not having the ability to do it and awaiting a day when something would be different. 
The prophets of old foretold that something new was going to happen. One day, God was going to give his people a new heart. A new heart that would be made of flesh instead of stone. A new heart that was actually inclined to love God again. In which his commands were written on their heart. That they would want to love him. And they would be able to love him. And so, 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth arrived and he shocked the world with his radical love. His amazing love. Not only did he perfectly obey his parents, that's important, but he also obeyed the great commandment, the command to love God with all of heart and soul and mind. And when he was tempted in the desert to, to worship anything other, to love something other than God, he said, no way. And he was faithful to his lover. He was faithful to God and God alone. And during the time of his busy earthly ministry, Jesus refused to value mission over God. And he continued to spend time each morning getting up while it was still dark to commune with his father, to worship him, to love him, to talk to him. And then in a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus yielded in love to the Father as the Father directed him toward a death on a cross where Jesus was pierced, crushed, and striped on our behalf, on our, for our sins. He was buried, but he resurrected on the third day. And when Jesus resurrected, he unlocked the promises of the prophets from of old, that he would offer them a new heart, a new heart that would have the ability to love God, that would be inclined to love God. And so now, that's what we are offered, a heart that can love God. But that's not even the best of it. The gospel offers us the good news of God. The good news of God himself. It says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ suffered on the cross once for sins. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us. What? That he might bring us to God. Jesus is not just the means to heaven as an end. Jesus is the end itself. The supreme fulfillment of all of our longings. Now, while the other aspects of heaven will and they might interest us, we can be certain of the substance of our satisfaction. Delighting in God. That's eternal life. And we'll have it as long for all of our days. This gospel of love for God, this gospel of grace, this and this alone fuels us to delight in God. And delighting in God is what fuels us to do all the things that we want to do for a meaningful life. And so as a church, we don't want to assume this. We don't want to assume, oh yeah, we're just going to assume delighting in God, assume the gospel. No. You're going to hear this every time we speak. We are going to share this news. I hope it pervades everything we do, every small group meeting, every some of you kids classroom that we are sharing this good news with one another. And so that's why I placed it first today, and that's why I made it a really big on the PowerPoint. And how fitting to take communion now. 
That's why I'm putting this here, so that we remember it's all about him. It's all about delighting in him. And then I'll share some more things, more things that we're going to do. But right now, I want us to take communion. Jesus gave this to us as a reminder of this good news that I just shared, that he gave up his body on the cross. His blood was poured out in love for us so that we could be reunited back to the satisfying God who died for us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in a group of three people. It won't work if it gets too big, so aim for three people. And I want you to remind one another of why God is incomparably satisfying. Stir up one another's delight in God. Remind each other that God is so amazing that he came to die for us so that we could live forever with him. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Maybe you want to do it through prayer. Maybe you want to close your eyes and you'll remind each other in prayer. Or maybe you want to just do it and speak to one another. Whatever you choose is great. But don't just hear my words. I want you as the church to remind each other of how delightful God is. So here's your cue, in case you didn't hear anything that I just said. Um, you can remember that. And um, just remind you of that. I'm going to come back in a few minutes, and we're going to take it together. All right, church? You guys got it? Hey, let me give another uh, heads up. I didn't do this. Uh, you can find in front of you if you need gluten-free. That's great. Just raise your hand. We've got a few ushers. Maybe you're here, and you're actually not a follower of Jesus yet probably good not to do this because this means that you trust in Jesus that he died for you um, however if having heard that you say hey I want that this is freely yours if you believe in Jesus and this can be the first time you ever do this but if not hey just listen just listen to the people around you quietly as they pray and as they share I'll give you a few minutes and I'll be back up let's just soak up this moment this might be the best moment of the whole morning right here All right, I'll get your attention. Let's, um, let's do this together here. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. He also then took a cup and said, this is the cup which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. Let's take this cup in remembrance of his forgiveness. Let me say a prayer. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you so much for dying for us so that we can live and love you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, it's all downhill from here. That was great. That could be then, but that was awesome. Uh, allow me this morning to briefly cover the other four vision points. I will not do it completely thoroughly, but I think this will be helpful whether you've been around a long time, you're rather new, it will give you a bit of the flavor of our church. So let's move to our second vision point, which is loving one another. And we'll turn to words that Jesus was saying during that same time period, he was uh, giving us what we just celebrated. He said this, the words of Jesus, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So wait a second. Isn't this just a repeat of that verse we did at the beginning? Isn't this just the command to love your neighbor? Don't let these familiar words leave you humdrum. There's something amazing going on here. This is not the love neighbor command. This is radical. This is something different. This is new. Jesus' command here is the standard by which he asks his followers to love one another. And that standard being namely himself. Jesus commands us, Jesus' followers, to love one another to the same degree, in the same ways that he loved disciples. Jesus did that that night. You remember he washed their feet. That was a good symbol in a practical way of showing love. And he showed it most potently the next day as he died on the cross to forgive their sins. None of us can do that for one another. None of us can be the atonement for one another's sins, the sacrifice. But we can follow in the example of Jesus in the other ways that he commanded to love. The radical bar of love that God himself set for us. And so this community that God has is an incomparably deep love. One that's based on Jesus' death and resurrection. But not only is it a high standard, Jesus also shows that the love for one another even eclipses love for family. It even eclipses love for family. Uh, I appreciate this as my daughter's journaling through the Bible, and so we'll just borrow from her journal here this morning, and it will help you remember it. Luke 8. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are here waiting for you. Jesus said, my mother and brothers are those who obey God and his word. We live in what I've heard others describe as the most individualistic society that has ever been on this planet. That means that our culture values individualism as the highest value. Jesus lived in a culture that valued family in that same place. Family, hospitality, they are way up there. And so in that culture, you would do anything to keep the honor of your family intact. You would make that your highest priority. Jesus is doing something extremely radical here that is very informative for us today. He's revealing that he's creating a new community, a countercultural community that even eclipses love for family. Jesus doesn't dismantle family. It has its purpose. He doesn't, he doesn't disregard it. He just creates something that is going to supersede it, namely the family of God or the church as we call it today. I want you to imagine with me if we lived out this radical idea, if we really did that, if we loved one another like Jesus loved us, if we treated each other and loved each other like family or greater than family, what if you came in here and it wasn't just a room full of people, strangers that you sing next to once a week? What if this were a counterculture community in Fort Collins where people notice people are loved there really deeply? They love each other maybe even more deeply than a lot of families do. 
They're generous. They're sacrificial. They're welcoming. They're inviting. They're generous. And so I just want to call out. I want to welcome all the lonely in Fort Collins. Come in here. Come and find belonging. I want to call out to the students at CSU. Come here. You're lonely and depressed. Come find a place where you're known. I want to call out to all the disconnected of Fort Collins. Come in here and get a taste of the community of heaven right here in this room, right with these people. And I'm amazed. There's some amazing expressions from you guys that just, they blow me away. You guys impress me so much. And yet there's still room for us to grow, isn't there? Here's how we do community uh, quite a bit in our church. It is through small groups. It can be hard to find community. And so we, have, we gather in smaller groups throughout the week to share a life, to love God, to study His Word, things like that. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't found a community, maybe start there. You can follow that QR code and make that your first stop. And if that doesn't work, that's great. Just use that to branch to the next place where you're going to find that level of community. But not only does Jesus have a radical bar for relationship within the church, he also has something radical to speak about gender and marriage to our society, especially today. As you know, our culture today wants to define gender itself, and our culture today wants to be able to define marriage by itself. And we've seen the fruit of that. It doesn't result in very amazing things compared to what Jesus offers. He offers something way more glorious for gender and something way more glorious for marriage than anything that Hollywood has ever produced. Jesus offers the best. He has a radical bar for marriage. And so I'm going to look at verses that you've probably heard at a wedding many times before. From Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Our culture is not very good at marriage. Some don't even have the courage to attempt it now. But for those who do, the, the results aren't um, too impressive. A lot of people aim to merely avoid conflict or to avoid divorce. And a couple can remain married for decades and yet merely tolerate each other or be good partners. Jesus has a much higher bar something way better than Hollywood can offer. This is what Jesus wants. A marriage of complete oneness. Oneness on every level. Oneness that's ever deepening. A relationship that doesn't grow stagnant. It doesn't plateau after you've been married for a certain amount of time, but continues to grow in depth and knowledge and interest and unity and harmony and even in passion. And here's the amazing thing. When we do that, when somebody sees that, they get to see a picture in flesh of what it's like when Jesus and his bride love one another. 
marriage is supposed to be an arrow that points us to the greatest love relationship of all, Christ's love for us, his church, the bride. And so married couples, I want to exhort you, don't settle for tolerating your spouse. Don't settle for just not fighting. Don't settle for just not divorcing. Make it your aim to go deeper and deeper in oneness with your spouse such that people around you are really curious about Jesus because of your relationship. And so to facilitate that, we have an opportunity coming up for married couples. It will be a Friday night and a Saturday day in the end of October, the 27th and 28th. And this will be a chance to make that aim a reality in your marriage, to aim for oneness in an increasing depth, whether you've been married for a year or for decades. I want to encourage you to put that on your calendar. Uh, regarding gender, our culture is so confused about gender. Our city is confused about gender. Our school district is confused about gender. We want to speak into Jesus' radical and glorious plan for gender, which includes marriage, but it's beyond marriage as well, with a mini-conference. This will be on Saturday, September 30th, during the day. And um, our founding pastor, John Meyer, will be speaking from the Bible about God's glorious plan for gender and how it contrasts with what our culture is telling us today. So I want to encourage you to um, check that out. Time to move on to the next one. We're going to talk about our third vision point, multiplying Christ followers. And of course, we're going to read the Great Commission from Matthew 28. These are the words of Jesus after he resurrected. Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' words, his command here, are backed by his authority. What is his authority? This is the resurrected king of the cosmos. And he has a mission He wants to restore this love story from of old for all the people on the planet. And so his primary command here is to make disciples. That means to make more passionate worshipers of God. To make other followers of Rabbi Jesus who want to become just like him in every single way. And we do that through these things, through teaching them what Jesus said, what he commanded And once they receive Jesus, to baptize them. This includes both what we call in modern day evangelism and discipleship. This includes both going to those who haven't heard Jesus and telling them good news. But it also includes taking those who follow him and helping them grow along the way. Helping them learn to obey Jesus. We believe that every person who is a follower of Jesus is also an ambassador for Jesus. You cannot separate the two. We all get the glorious privilege of joining Jesus in this magnificent work. We get a great phrase at the end here that resonates with our mission statement, by the grace of God. Remember, we can't make disciples on our own. We can't change a heart. It's supernatural. And so we need this promise at the end where Jesus said, 
Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The only way we can do this massively big goal is if Jesus does it. If he gives his Holy Spirit living inside of us to empower the ministry that we're going to do. And so it's captured well by the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In our endeavor to make disciples, we must remember Jesus' presence go with us. We need his grace because we cannot produce anything on our own. In our endeavor to make disciples, it's strategic and biblical for us to aim for the next generation. Like it says in Psalm 78, to tell the great deeds of God to the next generation. But it's also strategic. Many churches nowadays are languishing. They are challenged. They are slowly dissipating because of their challenge at reaching the next generation. And so here you will notice that we do put a high value and emphasis on reaching the next generation And that's for the sake of the Great Commission. This is worth showing again. I think I've seen this two or three times here from stage before, but it's um, some helpful numbers. The National Association of Evangelicals did a survey in 2015 of the age when Americans came to Christ. Here's the results of their study. 63% of Americans came to Christ between the age of 4 and 14. 34% came to Christ between the age of 5 and 29. 3% came to Christ at the age of 30 or older. And so the study is a little bit old. It's 2015. We're in 2023. So the numbers might be slightly different. But I still think overall, it's probably a good, helpful survey for us to consider today. And so because of this reality, we do make it our goal to touch the next generation. So you've heard about that. We have our Summit View kids. We envisioned that recently, just got things started for the fall. We emphasize our youth ministry. We have a ministry for both middle schoolers and high schoolers that meets throughout the week, including Wednesday nights. You've probably heard about our ministry to college students. The group is called 242, and so they're reaching out to CSU Front Range and beyond. And you even saw it this morning with our worship band. Look at the average age, especially when you add the basis in there. It was pretty young today. So it's pretty cool. Next generation. That doesn't downplay our ministry to 30 plus. I'm over 30 years old. Um, There's ministry for all of us by way of example. Um, Even, for instance, the women's ministry. The women's ministry is cooking right now. There's a lot of great stuff coming up. Bible studies, fellowship for moms, and more. And so, women, you might want to snap a QR code there and check out those opportunities for how you can grow in being and making a disciple through the women's ministry. I want to highlight two, um, two opportunities that you uh, might not know about. I want to invite you to consider joining our Sunday prayer meetings any morning that it happens to work for your schedule. This, I, I emphasize this because we make disciples by the grace of God. We can't do any of this on our own. It starts on our knees. It starts asking by asking God, by being dependent on Him. And so we have a simple prayer meeting. You can see it here. It's upstairs. And it meets at 8.30 every Sunday. And anytime you can make it, please join us in, um, in praying and depending on the grace of God. Um, two parenting opportunities coming up for this spring. I just want to save the date for these. 
We're going to have a parenting conference in January. Uh, we're bringing in our uh, pastor from our sister church in Utah. His name is Josh Whitney, and his conference is called Radical Parenting. I went through it myself. My wife and I did a few years back. Greatly benefited from it. It's biblically based. It's hard-hitting. It's inspiring. I think you're really going to like it. So mark the date so you don't miss that. It's another one of those Friday, Saturday things. One more of those will be for the moms in the room. We're going to bring in speakers from Mama Bear Apologetics. And what they do is they equip moms with those conversations that you have with your kids to be able to assess what the culture is telling you and how to think biblically and be able to be confident in what God says. So this is an equipping for moms. Another thing, Friday, Saturday, March 1st and 2nd. Save the date, moms, so that you don't miss that. Here's our last two vision points. Blessing Fort Collins. We'll go back to that great commandment. The first one, to love God, but Jesus said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls for us to love others. This is distinct from the church. Freely, no strings attached. Even people that we would deem as our enemies. People that we wouldn't agree with. They wouldn't live out our same values. We wouldn't want to live in the same house. Jesus wants us to be generous and no strings attached, bless them and thus to bless our city. And perhaps we should be informed by words that were given by Paul. When he started his ministry to the Gentiles, the church in Jerusalem gave him some counsel. They said, Paul, we want you, as you go out, to remember the poor. In your gospel ministry, as you preach the gospel, remember the poor. And Paul said that was the very thing I was eager to do. And so for us, it should be the same. As we seek to disciple our city, let us also remember the poor and be very eager to do it. Two blessing Fort Collins opportunities. Some new things. We've got other things. I'm not mentioning all the old things, but here are two new things. One will be a new initiative through um, right out here in our lobby, 1601 Coffee, Thriving Together. We're going to open up this space on Tuesday afternoons, beginning here in, in a couple weeks in September, as an opportunity to create a space where people can come and feel the love of Jesus, where they can receive a free cup of coffee, where they can talk with someone. Maybe it's a workspace. Maybe you meet with somebody. Uh, but we want to offer this space freely to our city as a blessing. And so help, help us get this off the ground. Come join us. Come check it out. Some Tuesday, starting on September 19th, I think it's going to be awesome. One more opportunity that uh, is not off the ground, but um, I, the Holy Spirit might be tapping some of you on the shoulder to help with this endeavor. In our city, there's a nonprofit called Serve 68, which takes the point among all the churches to do good in the name of Jesus to our city. And so they have a resource center where they have food and clothing and that kind of stuff. And their vision is now to distribute that among local churches so that when people come and receive goods, they're connecting with a local church and not just a nonprofit. So they're actually connecting with the church perhaps in their neighborhood. And so these are a couple pictures of what it's looked like at other spaces. And we have it on our heart to be able to do the same to remember the poor in our city and to open up potential gospel ministry or even just doing good in the name of Jesus. And so we're looking to do a weekday afternoon 
It'll either be bi-weekly or weekly, and we're hoping that it will start in October, but we're not sure. Uh, in order for this to get off the ground, we would need some more volunteers that are willing to put their shoulder into it and commit to a certain level of, of, of commitment here. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you maybe even pray about it. Um, and if that's you, I want you to contract, contact Andrew Meyer. I got his email there on this slide. And uh, let him know you're interested. And based on the level of interest is probably we'll express, we'll uh, de- determine the expression of what we get to do. All right, lastly, but not least, expanding globally. This is an extension of the Great Commission. You remember Jesus said, in our making disciples, our target is all nations, all peoples. Or in Acts 1.8, it said slightly differently. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' love is so great, he wants all the different people, not just some people, not just our people or another kind of people. He loves all the people, and he wants all of them back in relationship with God. But it's a rather daunting mission, is it not, to think about reaching all the people on this planet with this good news? If we think it's daunting, imagine what it felt for the original apostles as they were the only ones facing a world that had never even heard about this message. But wait, what about people who haven't heard about Jesus? Do they go to hell? While this is a very sobering topic to consider, and I don't take it lightly, this argument is rather silly. Everyone has sinned. All of us deserve death. Heaven is not a deserved privilege, it's a gift of grace. If this were true, it does not make sense that there would be some people who've never heard about Jesus and they're bound for heaven, but then a missionary arrives and they says, hey, you need to repent and believe on Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're destined for hell because a missionary came. This doesn't make any sense. The Great Commission wouldn't make any sense. If this were the case it would be better not to send people to preach. But Romans 10 tells us otherwise. Sorry, the font's a little small. I'll read it to you. It says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we do see in Scripture an impetus, a command, a burden to follow Jesus in his mission to get this good news of delighting in God to all nations. You've probably seen something like this. I grabbed the stat yesterday. Don't worry, you can't read it too big. I'll explain it. This is the stats of the amount of the world that is considered unreached. Unreached is a technical term. It means more or less that there's a people group that doesn't have its own native church that can be mobilized enough to be able to effectively bring the message to their whole people without someone coming in or otherwise. 
And so whether you count it in terms of population or people groups, either way, it's 42% of the world is considered unreached. Maybe that does something for you. Sometimes these stats are just like, I don't really know what to do with that. So let me make it super simple with this uh, display from the Joshua Project. Let's pretend that the whole world can be represented by 10 people. If the whole world were 10 people, this is their view of Jesus. Are you ready? One out of 10, more or less. Jesus, he is my Lord and Savior. Two out of 10. Jesus, he's a nice teacher, but I kind of want to do my own thing. Four out of 10. Jesus, no thank you. You guys know where this is going. Three out of 10. Jesus, who's that? And so as we delight in Jesus, as we sing songs here, and as we revel in this amazingly good love story that we have, that should be on our minds. No matter our expression, for some of us, we might live in Fort Collins our entire lives. We might not move a mile. We might not be called to go, but all of us are called to care, to give our hearts, our resources, our prayers, our encouragement, our support, our gift, whatever it looks like, so that this can be accomplished, so that those people represented by that graphic have a chance to hear about this amazing God who loves us. And so let me give you a few things we do just to pray for. We have a few expressions of expanding globally. We have our international student ministry, which reaches out to international students and also others who aren't students, um, which is thriving and there's been a lot of growth in the last year. I encourage you to pray for that ministry. We have a small group you might not be aware of. It's called Missions Portal. Missions Portal aims to raise up missionaries here that will go to some of these hard-to-reach places, but also to raise up senders, people who will do a good job sending, encouraging others, and also to be a community that missionaries can come back to and find a place to belong. And so that, in addition to all the missionaries we already have on the field, I want to encourage you to pray for them. And uh, lastly, our church plant in Severance with Roger Everhart and company. I want to encourage you to keep praying for them and as part of that endeavor. Two new things just to highlight here towards the end. Uh, This spring, we are going to host something called the Perspectives Course or the Perspectives Class. It's a semester-long class. We did this a few years ago here at our church building. And it builds in any given one of us um, a vision and a view to be a world Christian, a Christian that wants to have his or her part in getting the gospel to all people. The goal of the class is not to get everyone to go necessarily, though some of us will, but the goal is to get all of us in that framework of recognizing there's still tons of people that don't know, have never heard about Jesus. One more opportunity, a lot of you already know that are going on this, but Just by way of awareness, we do have a mission trip to Costa Rica coming up this spring, during spring break, uh, March 9th through 17th, and a lot of that's already rolling, but if you're interested, uh, talk to Aaron Ritter and um, see if you can get in on that. Uh, Before moving to a close or maybe a a discussion question for you guys, I want to just highlight a couple things to keep these things uh, on on the forefront of your mind. 
Back here, I've got a picture of it. This is our resource center. And just so you know, our resource center is stocked with great resources that we think will help you in this endeavor. It's organized by these vision points. Delighting in God, loving one another, yada, yada. And I want to encourage you to check that out, whether today or another week. And, um, you know, grab a book. They're all very uh, reasonably priced. I think you get it for five bucks or for free if need be. And you can grab a book that will help grow you in one of these vision points. Also, I encourage you, if you don't have this yet, we send out a weekly email. This is how you can know what's going on. And so if you haven't done this and you've been around here forever, uh, just click on that QR code so that you get all the info that you need. And lastly, yes, we all are wearing the same t-shirts this morning. Um, You can get this, not just so that you can look like everybody else, that's not the goal, but when you wear this, this reminds you of the things that will make for a meaningful and purposeful life that will last for eternity. And so that's why I encourage you to get these. They are all uh, very reasonably priced as well. So there's shirts and stickers and all that kind of good stuff. So let me bring us to a close here. The Pharisee asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we ourselves are asking similar questions. What about eternal life? How do I live a meaningful life of belonging? Simply said, love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Some of you, church family, together, let's live out these treasured values that I shared this morning. Let's live out a countercultural community that beckons the lonely in our city to come and taste heaven. Let's live a life of radical risk and faith, living as if we were in heaven, looking back, making our decisions with that vantage point. And I can't wait to see what happens as a church family as we grow in delighting in God and as God empowers us into new endeavors as part of his great commission. And so as a slightly different end here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity just to talk with the person next to you. And if you need to buzz out, that's fine. You're welcome to. But I want you to uh, consider answering these questions with the person next to you. How are you going to grow in delighting in God? What can you do? Or is there something that God poked you and said, hey, I want you to pursue this? So with that, let me announce what we're doing next week and then I'll release for you to be able to talk about these things. Next week, our entire morning is going to be music and prayer. It's going to be awesome. We're going to just focus on delighting in God and expressing faith through prayer. So you're not going to want to miss that. So with that, let me say a prayer and release you guys to this. Jesus, we are so honored that you would rescue us from hell that you would rescue us from our sin and save us by your grace. Help us to delight in you more than we love anything else. And please show us how you want us to join you in your mission. Help us to live lives of meaning and purpose that will last for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.